Well, hello to everyone in Canmore at Trinity uh, Bible Church. Uh, I'm just up the road here at Banff Park Church, uh, another AGC church. I'm sure many of you have been here and, and know it uh, well. Uh, Sean asked me if I would uh, be willing to preach a couple of sermons here while he's on holidays. And it just so happens that I preached through James uh, about a year and a half ago. And so I just kind of pulled out some uh, some of my old sermons here in the text that he was going to be at and have gone through them. And, and I hope this is an encouragement to you. I don't remember if I said this yet. My name is Greg Unruh. Uh, we've been in Banff for about a year and a half now. Um, obviously, this has been a bizarre and unique time with the church being online. And, and of course, I would rather kind of be out there with you to share this, but that's just not the case at this point. Uh, though things are slowly kind of heading back towards uh, some kind of a, a normal pace. Um, but yeah, so if you want to open to James this morning here to chapter 2, verse 14, and, and I'm going to do my best uh, to get through this as uh, efficiently and yet not skip over anything. So the camera that I've been using to record, I get 30 minutes and that's it, and that's tough for me. So I'm going to do my best to get through this. Now, I... Before we get anywhere, I'm not wearing a shirt and tie. I don't remember the last time I didn't wear a shirt and tie to preach, um, but I just jumped on your website uh, to see how Sean does it, and I noticed, well, for the first couple of the sermons in, in James anyway, Sean's wearing a nice golf shirt, so I thought, man, I, I'm going to do that too, which is great, because upstairs here in the library, it's like 82 degrees, so the shirt and tie would have been a little hot. But uh, yeah, so let's, let's get through this. Now, obviously, I haven't... Uh, dug through this first bit of text with you guys, Sean has, and, and I haven't had the time uh, to, to listen to all of those sermons and see exactly what he's done, but I know Sean, and I know that he is uh, an excellent expositor, and he's digging out stuff uh, here that is important and meaningful, and I'm sure that he has told you that we're getting to this text here now, which is kind of like this, this linchpin in James, uh, all about faith versus works. And this is what really James is all about, and, and uh, a big central component of this book anyway. And a lot of people have a hard time with that, because how can you have, it's by grace that you've been saved, right? Ephesians 2, which we're going to talk about, because that's very central to, to evangelicalism, right? Like, that's very central to, especially you being another AGC church, is, is this is core. It's grace that you've been saved, not through works, so that no one can boast. And then yet, in this text here specifically, and James deals with this over and over, but specifically here in our text uh, this morning, James is dealing with, but faith without works is dead. And he's actually going to say some things that sound very contradictory to what we might imagine, or, pardon me, to what we have always been taught and what we always have believed. And, and what I'll argue is actually true is that it is through grace alone that we find salvation uh, through Jesus Christ. So... Let's try and unpack this a little bit and, and get to a place where we, we can understand this text well. So James began uh, in the beginning of the book talking about trials and how ultimately these trials are from God, uh, designed to develop perseverance in us. So much like Paul says in Romans uh, that, that everything God does is ultimately for our good, is, is James is kind of arguing that same thing, is that trials, temptations, these things are meant to refine us so that we learn to rely more on Christ and rely more on the Holy Spirit so that we grow in our maturity and, and that ultimately we find perseverance 
in that. Now, of course, sometimes we get in our own way of that and uh, our own selfish thoughts, our own sin nature, these things uh, can kind of take over and we can ignore the Holy Spirit and, and we can end up in a place we don't want to be. James argues for maturity and perseverance. And then, and then he talks about not being only hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. And, and of course, I think all of us agree we can't, we can't say we believe something and then not act on that. Uh, the world calls that hypocrisy. And ultimately, that would be very a correct interpretation of that. Is hypocrisy is, is somebody saying they believe something or saying something about anything, I guess, and then doing the opposite. And then we end up with this, well, you say this, but you do this. this. This doesn't line up. And so James says you can't be hearers of the word and not be doers of the word. It's, it's impossible. And then he deals right before this text in verse 14, he deals with partiality uh, and how when we understand the gospel correctly and we understand that God has created men and women all of us in his image and loves us desperately that we should show no favoritism towards anybody because uh, of their prominence, because of their popularity, because of their uh, prestige, any reason. We shouldn't show any favoritism to them, but we should love them all because they're created, they're image bearers of the king. They're created by God, just as I am, just as you are, and so we should love everyone equal. So this brings us to this text, right? So 14 uh, to the end of chapter 2, here's what we're going to read. So this is what James says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, uh, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by, by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, the faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, that a person is justified by works, and, oh, sorry, verse 24 again, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in that same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And there's a lot, a lot in there. And there's some stuff in there that's difficult. Specifically, verse 24, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. If I just walked up to you and said that, um, you might have a real problem with that. And, and Ephesians, like I mentioned in chapter 2, might be just racing through your head of, but it's by grace alone that you are saved. And, and he just says right here, person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So is this contradictory? And this is the big question that we have to ask. And, and I think we need to wrestle with this because if we blow this off or pretend like it's not a big deal, we're, we're A, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And then when we try and have conversation with people who don't understand, 
what faith is or who God is, and they want to ask it, and they go, but isn't this contradictory? And if we just try and pretend like, no, it's not, but we don't have a good explanation, that, that can be dangerous. So, uh, let's do a little bit of church history here. Uh, a couple of years back, 2018, you might uh, remember, if you're a kind of a church history nerd, is uh, it was the fi 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, right? And uh, as the AGC, we would adhere to kind of the five solas, which are the, the onlys, the five onlys that came out of the Protestant Reformation. Now, let me be clear, I'm not saying that I agree with everything that Luther wrote or taught or that he was um, the greatest teacher ever. I'm not making any of those kind of statements. What I am saying is that the five solas that came out of the Protestant Reformation are bang on scripturally solid. They are this. We are saved by God's grace alone, on the basis of Christ alone, received through faith alone, so that all things lead ultimately to the glory of God alone, with scripture alone as the final, the only final decisive authority for discerning, teaching, and defending these truths. That was uh, written by John Piper uh, two years ago when he was going through the 500th anniversary. So, that's what I believe. And, and, and I don't think that what James says here contradicts what Paul teaches us in Ephesians 2, verse 8 9. And so, so let me read that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's 2, 8 and 9. Do they say the same thing? I think so. I, a lot of people will argue that those are very different. I don't think they are. Uh, in fact, verse 10 of Ephesians 2, which we're not going to look at just yet, is going to help prove that point. Contextually, we're going to look at it and we're going to go, oh, Paul is saying the same thing that James is. This is, is, this is not a contradiction. I'm going to say this is two sides of the same coin. So first, let's, uh, let's look back here. So what good is it, my brothers? So uh, in English, it's maybe not quite as clear. In the Greek, it's got a little bit more of this sarcasm here, but you can kind of see it in English too as well. Is what good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith but does not have works? He's, he's trying to be like, what good is it if you say this and do that? It's no good. In fact, he goes as far as saying, can that faith save him? Can that faith save him, right? So if it's through faith alone that we're saved, this is where it gets uncomfortable. But the implication around this question is no, because he's saying you cannot have one without the other. He's not arguing for a works-based salvation. All he's trying to simply say is that you cannot have faith without works. Because the works are the evidence of your faith. Right? In fact, he says it is, I'll show you my faith by what I do, is, is one translation of it. The ESV says, I will show you my faith by my works. Uh, one translation says, I'll show you what I believe by what I do. And that's true, isn't it, of all of us, is we live on that principle, is we do things because we believe that what we're going to do is either the right thing to do or a safe thing to do or whatever it might be, is we act upon belief. That's just how we uh, are, that's how we operate. James uh, says this kind of faith, right? So this hypocritical, this lack of works with faith, uh, he says it's useless. It's useless. It means nothing. And in fact, at the end, he then makes this comparison. For us, the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. His point 
You can't have one without the other. You can't, you can't be alive if the spirit is dead. And in the same way spiritually, if you say you're a Christian and you say you've been saved by the grace of God and it hasn't changed you, what James is saying is you're tricking yourself. You're fooling yourself into thinking you're saved when you don't even understand what the gospel is. Because the gospel brings change. And, and Paul would argue that, right? New creation, right? In Corinthians. Uh, there's, there's many, many texts where Paul kind of argues that as well. So, so these don't contradict each other. Uh, Grant R. Osborne, he's a commentator, says this. Paul and James would agree that on the basis of salvation... Oh, pardon me, let's read... Read that again. Paul and James would agree that the basis of salvation is grace alone through faith, with works not the basis, but the necessary result thereof. It's through grace alone that we find salvation. But then our life starts to speak of that, and the works that we do now demonstrate where our belief was and where that grace came from. James is saying if you don't have works demonstrating your faith, then you don't actually have faith. You just think you have faith. Now, uh, an interesting uh, point here is in verse 19, right? You believe that God is one. You do well. Uh, what's, what's kind of that about? Well, let me give you a little history. There's a Jewish creed uh, called the Shema. And it's an affirmation of monotheism, right? That there's one God. And that the Jewish people would recite this daily. We read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, and, and Matt Chandler, um, oh, pardon me, uh, I just jumped ahead there a little bit. Uh, there's nothing bad with the Shema. There's nothing bad with this affirmation that God is the one true God. Uh, not at all. But what James is saying is that in itself doesn't mean anything because all you're saying is something that's true, but do you believe it, right? So his, his argument, you do well, even the demons believe and they shudder, right? So he's saying belief in a monotheistic, belief in the one God, it's almost like he's being sarcastic and it's like, good job. But even the demons believe that and they shudder and they're fearful, so how do we deal with that? Well, Matt Chandler writes this. He says, intellectual assent to correct doctrine is not salvation. See, we can, we can know all the right things, but if we don't accept them and allow them to, to change us from within, then they mean nothing to us. Is we can know, we can, and I've, you probably have all seen this where somebody's arguing uh, a doctrinal point and they're so convinced of this, but there's no love. There's no grace and there's no mercy and there's no character of Jesus in them. They're just fighting to prove their point. Just because we know theology, just because we have an intellectual understanding of Scripture, doesn't mean that we understand salvation. And James is trying to argue that exact thing. Is look, you can have all the intellectual wisdom you want, but if you don't know the gospel, if you don't understand the gospel, and the gospel hasn't changed you, then it's all just intellectual. It's all useless. It's all worthless. It's all meaningless. Until you allow that to come into your life, into your heart, change how you think and how you act. 
So James is arguing here: belief needs to trans uh, tra needs to transition into action, or it isn't belief at all. A real quick story for you, and, and maybe you're very familiar with this. I don't know, um, but there was a there's a famous tightrope walker named Charles Blondin. Uh, in the 1800s. Very famous guy, um, most well known for walking across Niagara Falls. And he walked across uh, many times and in many different ways. Uh, so he walked across on a sack, uh, like a potato sack. He walked across on stilts. On a, he rode on a bicycle once. He did it in the dark. He did it blindfolded. One time he carried a small little stove and cooked an omelet in the middle. Though if I seem to remember correctly, they, he dropped the omelet, but I'm not really sure about that. But either way, right? Like this guy was well known, well known for this. And there's this one day, he pulled out a wheelbarrow, right? And he pushed the wheelbarrow across, and the crowd's screaming down below. And, uh, and as the story goes, as he yells out, um, uh, does anyone think I can do it again? Right? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, you can do it again. And then he says, who will come up into the wheelbarrow? And all of a sudden, that loud, screaming, excited crowd comes to a complete hush. This is where belief and action meet. Do they believe that he can do it? Well, it's interesting. They just saw him do it. But all of a sudden, that intellectualism, that, that, that intellectual understanding that, yes, he's capable of doing that, when my life becomes the one in the wheelbarrow, we go, oh, I don't know if he can do it. So do we actually believe? Well, as the story goes, is he ended up carrying someone across on his back. Uh, the only person who agreed to do it happened to be his manager. The person who had seen him do it over and over and over and over until he placed his trust, his very life, into the hands of Blondin and said, you can go across. It, uh, if you read about this story, what you read is that Blondin told his manager that if they lose balance at any point, to just go completely limp and allow Blondin to find that balance again because if he had to fight his manager for balance, they would both plummet to their deaths. So he had, this manager, he had to put his money where his mouth was. He had to, I, yes, I know you can do it. I'm so confident that I'm, that I'm going to allow you to carry me across. And in the same way, that's what Jesus is, is calling of us. Do you trust me? And we can say, yeah, God, I trust you. But do our actions demonstrate that we have unwavering faith? that God will carry us through the difficulties, through the pain, through the heartache, through the whatever. Do we believe it? Or do we just say it? The reality is that a life following Jesus is not easy. It's filled with difficulty. It's filled with sacrifice. Um, in parts of the world, it's filled with unbelievable persecution. The question is, do we believe that Jesus is greater than anything else that we can compare with it. In verse 21 to 26 then, we appear to have some other, um, what looks to be a contradiction again. In 21 he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, what's interesting here is people kind of get hung up here because Romans 4, 2 and 3, Paul says this, For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God, for what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So that's that same bit here at the end of, uh, kind of halfway through 23, that 
James quotes here. And it seems to be that they're arguing different things. And so we have to, we have to explore this. And here again, commentator Osborne, I think, helps bring clarity to this. He says this, On the surface, James may seem to contradict Paul arguing from Genesis 15 that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. However, James' assertion in this verse is not based on Genesis 15.6, but on Genesis 22.9 and 10, where many years later, Abraham began to, or to offer Isaac as sacrifice. There are two different accounts being talked, or two different passages being talked about. One overall account, Abraham's belief and his obedience. James is showing that years after being positionally declared righteous in Genesis 15, he showed it by his works in Genesis 22. He believed that God would provide somehow. Any, he didn't know how, but somehow, that God would. Be faithful. And, and we read later in Hebrews that it says Isaac reasoned that God would, or pardon me, that Abraham reasoned that God could bring Isaac even back from the dead. Unwavering commitment. If he hadn't acted in faith, then he wouldn't have believed God. And if he hadn't believed God, then God wouldn't have declared him righteous. So again, you have this two sides of the same coin. From a salvific point of view, or from salvation, we are saved by grace alone. But something changes there in us. Our lives begin to change. We don't become this, I, I never make a mistake again. It's not like that. But a new nature has come into us. The Holy Spirit now uh, lives in us. And he transitions us away from sin and towards righteousness. And so, yes, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But then we change into this new being, this new creation, where now I'm no longer controlled by the, the flesh. I'm no longer controlled by the world. I now submit to the Holy Spirit, and He changes me. And my actions demonstrate that something has changed in my heart. See, we can't earn salvation. We can't prove that we deserve salvation. Um, the writer of Hebrews argues for pretty much the whole book that if that was possible, then we would have figured out a way to do it. But it wasn't impossible, and that's why the need for Jesus to come. And James is not arguing with that one bit. So let me flip back to Ephesians here. I want to show you this. So again, 2, 8, and 9, and then I'm going to read 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For, this is verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul says the same thing. It's by faith that you're saved. It's by grace and faith alone that you're saved to do good works that Christ has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. They're not arguing. They're talking about two, almost as if two different points on that same statement. Paul was dealing with uh, a religious people that were, that were saved out of this old covenant understanding. And so his concern was that people would become very Pharisaic and think that as long as they did enough good, that they would find salvation. 
so his concern was, no, you cannot find salvation this way. Now you come to James, and James's concern is that people were just, oh, that's, I just, I just want to go to heaven, so this is my free ticket to heaven, is, is I don't have to do anything, so I can just live however I want. And James says, no, that's a poor understanding of it. You cannot earn your salvation. That's by faith, through grace, that comes as a gift of God. But when it comes, you are radically transformed and you are changed. When push comes to shove, what do we believe? All right, you can say that you aren't afraid of heights. A couple of years ago, I got the opportunity to go skydiving. And I used to be afraid of heights, and I'm, I would have said I'm, I'm not anymore at that point. And when we started flying up, no problem. It's all good. But when the door opened and I had to swing my legs out, the rubber met the road, or rubber met the road really quickly. And I had to ask myself, am I afraid of heights? Well, the answer was yes. The good news is it was tandem, so the guy behind me literally didn't give me a choice, and we just jumped off. And I'm so grateful we did. It was an incredible experience. But when we're pushed to that moment, do I actually believe what I say I believe? That's what James is trying to get us to understand. You cannot say you believe something and not act on it. It doesn't work. It's just not possible. Again, verse 26, whereas the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. You can't have one without the other. Let me just say this kind of to close, just to clarify, just so that we're good. You cannot, and I cannot, earn salvation based on our good works. The whole reason that Jesus came was because I'm incapable of paying the penalty of my own sin. I needed a Savior to do that. Jesus' death on the cross is not for me because I do so many good things. It's for me because He loves me. It's for you because He loves you. And He extends that to you. When we understand the depth that the God of all creation has for us, then when he loves us, when he shows us this, when we understand Jesus and when we understand the gospel, we can't help but change because we turn from something that we were into something radically different. We are loved by the creator of the universe and there's nothing he didn't do for you and for me. Somebody that I was reading once said it this way, is we don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. It's not out of obligation. It's out of gratification. It's out of, I can't believe the God of the universe loves me like this. I love him so much, I just want my life to reflect that. That's what the text is saying. That's what James is arguing. And that's something that we all know to be true in everyday life. You can't say something and not act on it. If you do, that's hypocrisy. Let's be consistent with how we live and how we talk so that people see Christ in us. Let me pray for you, uh, and then we're going to actually just kind of pause the video, uh, and I'm going to go again on the next uh, text for you for next week. So let's pray. 
God, thank you for this. Thank you for the text here. Thank you for this reminder that it's through grace alone and through faith alone that we're saved. But then when we become saved, when we accept Jesus' gift of salvation, that we are given a new nature. And change happens in our hearts and in our lives. And our works demonstrate what we believe. God, may we understand the gospel. May we understand the depth of your love for us and may that radically change how we live so that what we say about you is how we act so that people can see that. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus in our place that he would die on the cross that we would find forgiveness. We are eternally grateful. God, we love you. Go with us uh, this day. Amen.